What is going on, guys? It is 3-6-23. This is Season 3, Episode 9 of Sports Bar Jockeys, and we have a very special guest on the line today. Uh, please greet the fans, Cabbage. I'm back, baby. I'm it's back. Been, it's been a long time since I've... Uh, done an episode that wasn't solo so we got a we got a real treat for you guys yeah, today so on a little hiatus into life care i don't wish it on anybody but i'm back i'm ready to party all right let's get it going so cabbage is gonna kind of uh rattle off some topics for us today he's been doing all the uh behind the scenes work and the research so uh i'm kind of caught off guard with some of these topics so my responses will be genuine authentic and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, is it impromptu? I'm not sure what I'm a little impromptu, little, little rapid fire, little little bit yeah. off the top of your head. Need some alpha brain? Is that what you need? Yeah, yeah, off yeah. the top of my head, kind of <laughs> rapid fire. Yeah, that's exactly. We're winging it. We're winging it. That's what this is. So I'm actually going to name this episode "Winging It." That's well, this will be a two parter. Yes, winging it part one and might have to two. be three, depending upon how long the MLB talk goes. Yes, which with I, you, I, we we really yeah. <laughs> when it comes to MLB and talking with you about it, it, it yeah, we get we get really out there. It does, yeah, it does take a while. But also, the reason why I'm naming it winging it is because you're my wingman. So we're going, you know what I mean? Bet. We're getting that. <laughs> so. Uh, so All right, first, let's get going with it. Uh, you want to go ahead and talk about your uh, little passion you wanted to add in at the last minute? My little passion? Your little passion. Your passion for golf, sir. Oh, for golf. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, I just kind of want to give my input on golf and, like, where it stands right now. Um, so anybody that's watched golf or anybody that is a fan of golf understands that it's kind of tough to watch sometimes. And the problem with golf is how slow paced it is compared to the other major sports. But I don't like to discredit golf. Like, I appreciate golf as much as the next guy, maybe more so. Uh, I like playing it and I also like watching it certain times. But usually, the only time I'll watch golf is during like major championships. But recently, Netflix released a show called Full Swing that was actually really impressive that kind of went behind the scenes on like different golfers and behind the scenes at different tournaments and got to see a little bit of their story and like their develop their character development, help you get to know them views, get to hear from their family, all that kind of stuff. And I think that really brings out like a, a, like another aspect of golf for golf fans or people that don't even watch golf that got to see that on Netflix and are now more inclined to watch golf. So I just think it's good for the sport. That's really all I wanted to say is that I think it's good for the sport that something like that is happening, that golf is getting a little bit of exposure because the last time that the golf fan base has grown exponentially is when Tiger Woods, you know, started and winning speaking tournaments. Speaking of somebody who lived to watch that, it was crazy. Nobody like you had kids showing up for golf tournaments, which never happened before that. Mm-hmm. Never. And it's it's taken a dive down since you know Tiger's been gone and whatnot. But hopefully, you can get a little bit more back on the up and up. Yeah, I definitely, I, you know, and we were talking a little bit earlier about like how much Tiger's done for the sport of golf and even watching that show, like people learn to appreciate how much Tiger has done for the sport of golf because a lot of guys that are on the tour nowadays would not be there without Tiger Woods. And that's just plain and simple mm-hmm. fact. Like and those kids were inspired by him. The biggest thing golf can do to get back is more inclusivity. 
which now you have that competing uh, golf uh, league now, right? What is it? Live. That Live. that's actually yeah. a majority of the the problematic stuff in that uh, like Netflix special was <sighs> the battle between PGA Tour and Live, and a lot of key golfers on the PGA Tour went to Live, but the ones mm-hmm. that went to Live aren't aren't really welcome back to the PGA Tour, so it, yeah. it kind of cut the amount of really significant players in half. But Tiger and Rory McIlroy were like the main uh, guys that decided that they were not going to go to Live, and that the PGA Tour is all about like mm-hmm. uh, legacy and all that kind of stuff that you can not have when you're playing for money that you get up front and it doesn't even matter how many tournaments you mm-hmm. win like they literally were paying guys to leave the pga tour essentially and it, i just don't agree with it necessarily so yeah yeah and, and if, if golf could do like the mlb and really get a lot more people from around the world involved in these tournaments that'll increase international ratings so much more no, I agree 100% because a lot of countries only have like one or two golfers. But if that uh, golf was and I don't know if I like the word inclusive, but it kind of makes sense. Like, it's just kind of expanding more worldwide, like the, the mm-hmm. different countries that do play golf. There's only a select few that are good enough to get on the PGA Tour. But we don't know that there aren't other ones there. We just they just don't get the exposure, you know, like they don't get the exposure that the Americans would get because it's based here. They're in poor countries where they can't afford golf clubs or things like that. Yeah, there's so, real talent out there that mm-hmm. could be found, it's just like baseball. Like, it's such a golf's a little bit more complicated than baseball, though. I feel mm. like baseball is easier to learn, like, uh, without needing equipment or anything. Same with mm-hmm. soccer, so they're more inclined to do baseball or soccer than they are to try golf. So, golf low key, like, is the most difficult per, uh, sport because the difference between a pro golfer and a semi pro golfer, the gap is humongous. It's humongous. Versus triple A baseball, double A baseball and MLB baseball, the gap isn't as gap as big. There's guys so, that run right through the gauntlet and go from double single A, you know, mm-hmm. double A, triple A and MLB It's, like it's a perfection years. of your craft, knowing your entire body's movements, your muscles, everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Rim, um I've known you for a couple years, and I know you used to watch just about every UFC fight that was on every Friday night. And Saturday, yeah. (laughs) And so Saturday nights. And (laughs) you you might have fallen off a little bit, but I I know uh, you you had something to say about this last one that was on uh, last Saturday. Yeah, so this past weekend and even the weekend before that, I have been watching uh ufc and i've been really impressed with a lot of the stuff that i've been seeing from the ufc uh there's been some competition lately with the ufc not necessarily real competition but um dana white who's like that he had like a bunch of controversy that went on like not that long ago and then he had to delay the start of this new tv show that was premiering called power slap which is slap fighting Oh, and so yeah, I, yeah, I don't know shit. if you've seen like videos. Dude, of the that. female ones are amazing to yeah. watch. So he thought that slap fighting was going to take off. So he founded this new league, Power Slap. And bro, I'm telling you, it's hilarious to watch. It's not like entertaining, really. It's, it's more like a reality TV show where these guys talk like huge game and then go out there and literally just slap each other. Like it's stupid. <laughs> like they talk about how they want to tear each other's heads off and like knock each other out and then they slap each other. <laughs> and so it's like, it's really interesting like i think it's i don't know if it's good for the but, sport, it, but it's like it, it's not like a slap it's a you like palm of your hand it's basically the same thing as getting punched yeah it's they some of them are really good at it like the guys yeah. that are really good at it I, it's impressive but the guys that are bad at it it's like bro what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> he's just trying to get like, paid bro he's just trying to make a little money uh. 
Okay, so it's actually been the last, like, oh, gosh. So I've watched the last, ever since the beginning of February. I skipped the first week of February, but I watched the last one, two, three, four UFC events religiously. Like, I did not miss a single fight. Like you used to. Like you used to. Like I used to for this last four weeks. And it's been fun because I've really missed it. And I missed a lot of stuff that's happened in between. Like, I haven't been keeping up with the news or anything like that. But the reason why I started watching again is because the first fight or the second fight in February. And this this segment might take, like, two or three minutes. But the the second fight in February was like for the pound for pound world number one so it was a guy from one division that was moving up a division to fight somebody else so alexander volkanovsky who's the champion uh in his division was trying to get a second belt in another division or one division up from his normal division against islam mahachev and so since these two guys were the two top fighters pound for pound wise in the entire ufc whoever wins this fight would then become the pound for pound number one well since volkanovsky was fighting out of his weight class and lost kind of controversially uh he still remained the pound for pound number one uh respectfully so and i'm not sure if these guys will end up fighting again but it was really really good even fight like i really enjoyed watching it um so that was like almost like two belts at stake at the same time so it was interesting and so that got me kind of back into watching ufc because i was just like obsessed with that whole main event like that the whole pay-per-view uh so then after that there was like a women's fight the next week the main fight i'm kind of just talking about the main fights because we don't have a lot of time um the main fight for the next week was a women's fight it was uh jessica andrage versus um Blanchfield and uh Blanchfield's like an up and comer. So uh Paige Blanchfield, she uh she just kind of came out of nowhere. She started winning fights and moving up the rankings, and then she ended up fighting uh sorry, Aaron Blanchfield. Uh she ended up fighting Jessica Andrade and submitting her in the second round. So it was impressive, uh, in a sense that she was not projected to win. Andrade was definitely the favorite, but Blanchfield comes in and like submits her and now she's like on the map like she's actually in the conversation for a title challenger um and the co-main event i just want to shout it out real quick because i think you'll appreciate it uh former nfl fullback zach palga actually won a fight in a main event and he's just new to uh like uh bro don't sleep on fullbacks fullbacks oh my god yeah, he's a Hawaiian dude, and he's like he he was mm-hmm. in the NFL. He played for the Texans apparently, and now he's trying out mixed martial arts. And it, you remember with Greg Hardy, it didn't really work out with Greg Hardy. He ended up not being very good, but this yeah. guy could actually end up being pretty good. Well, I mean, Greg Hardy's a DN. He's lanky. His arms are long. So he's a box, a DN build <clears throat> like that, or like uh, John Abraham or TJ Watt or Hunter from Minnesota. They are a prime example of a boxer. Long arms, they have the reach, they're tall, they punch down. As far as UFC fighting, um, and this will go into what we had written down, it's becoming a lot more wrestling-based. Yes. Which is great for safety. I believe it was actually Bill Burr on Joe Rogan's podcast that said, well, what would you rather? Would you rather get punched in the face and knocked out or just choked out? And everyone's like, choked out. Because it's safer. It's low key a little bit less humiliating, I would say, than nothing's more right humiliating than dot, knockout. Though, like with timing on that, because what I wanted to say next was <clears throat> all five out of the five main card fights from this past weekend on Saturday, two days ago, all four that were finishes were submissions. All four, and that's all safer. That's safer for everybody in the long run. Yeah, when yeah. you get more wrestling, you'll get more broken limbs, but. 
that's that that's no biggie. Whoop do you do? A bone heals in a matter of six weeks, but uh CTE doesn't heal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And it it, it, it it creates a little bit more longevity for their careers. Like, yeah, they're still going to get punched in the face. They're still going to get into those grudge matches. But, like, mm-hmm. having those fights where they don't have to take as much of a beating definitely helps them to prolong their career. Go and more leverage and term injuries yeah. and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely good for the sport. And that's the thing. It's mixed martial arts. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to see a slugfest. Everyone's, everybody wants to see a firefight where guys just go in there and try to beat the ever-living fuck out of each other. But sometimes it gets more technical. It's more like a chess match. And what I wanted to say was um, about this particular card, John Jones is the consensus number one greatest of all time. You know, he comes back from a three-year layoff, fights Zero Gone, who's the number one ranked heavyweight. And John Jones has never fought at heavyweight. He's a light heavyweight. But his advantage moving up a weight class is... His submission, his submission game, his ground game, or so they call it. Mm-hmm. So Cyril Gaon's more of a striker. John Jones is just all around a good fighter. So John Jones made up for the size disadvantage, which obviously weighs the same as Gaon now, but Gaon's still like a bigger dude just because he walks around at that weight, and John Jones had to bulk up to get to that weight. Um, John Jones was able to submit him with this crazy choke, um, like right on the fence where John Jones was putting all his weight on Cyril Gaon and you could hardly see him choking him. Like we, he gone tapped and nobody even knew what the heck happened. But then when they saw when you saw the replay, you saw how technical and how perfect of a choke it was. Like he literally was like pushing down on Gon's head and then had his forearm right underneath, like right at Gon's throat. And as he was pushing his head down with his body weight, his like, forearm was pressing right into Gon's throat so there's no way the dude could breathe like it was a picture perfect submission only two minutes into the fight so john jones goes three years without fighting signs a crazy long deal with ufc to be with the ufc and then he wins two minutes in to win another championship it's crazy so yeah one by massive props to jones absolutely dude and it's chandler jones's big brother so we obviously love chandler jones here oh yeah and when he's healthy he's he's elite unbelievable um and then the only other fight i want to comment on on this card actually two other fights real quick so the john jones thing obviously submissions is key and this is two these other two things fit right in with that same concept submissions are key so this other fight the other championship fight was a women's flyweight title belt valentina shevchenko who had had eight consecutive title defenses in a row she was just a dominant champion got submitted in the fourth round by the number six ranked fighter in her weight class alexa grasso who's just a young you know girl like alexa grasso comes in here and nobody thinks she even has a chance shevchenko's like minus 900 at close or something like minus a thousand and like everybody's like oh shevchenko's gonna win well the fight was really close the entire time grasso was winning all like striking wise grasso was out striking shevchenko but shevchenko round game so she was tackling uh, or taking down grasso and keeping her down and like just control control time is huge in the ufc when it goes to a decision so shevchenko is technically winning the fight but i would say they were at two rounds apiece after four with 30 seconds left not even in the fourth round grasso does this crazy like she jumps up in the air and within a split second she did a backpack like she got on the shevchenko's back and was able to choke her out from the back like it was like her legs were zip ties and she just pull her legs around super quick she like spider monkey that back. motherfucker dude it was amazing it was unbelievable and so she won by submission against the champ like she took the belt from Shevchenko. um so then of Underdogs. course everybody's calling we for love a good match. underdog story 
Yeah, it was amazing. And I've seen that happen before a few times recently in UFC. Like when I do watch the fights, there for some reason there's underdogs that somehow find a way to overthrow these champions. And it's like no one expects it, but it happens. And it's like like that happened with Israel Adesanya, who's right up there with Jones, is one of the best in the sport. And he got beat by somebody that <laughs> should have never beat him, really. I mean, uh, the guy had beat him previously before they became professionals in kickboxing. And that's why everybody was like, oh, maybe he has a chance. But he, nobody actually thought he had a chance. And then he ended up beating Adesanya. So, yeah. There's always a fighter's chance, man. It's all about, Absolutely. As, as Rocky would say, it's all about heart. <laughs> oh yeah. and creed 3 just came out like on friday so that's cool <laughs> but uh the last thing last thing real quick about ufc and then we'll move on to something else the other fight on that main card that really caught my eye was a guy by the name of bo nickel <laughs> it was only his fourth ufc fight his fourth pro mixed muscle well his first ufc fight his fourth professional uh, mma fight and he's a pure wrestler okay he's he's penn state okay he's from pa he went to penn state he was the number one wrestler in the world in the country for a while and this dude comes into freaking mixed martial arts like he's only been doing mixed martial arts for like a year mm. and he comes into the, his first ufc fight and just dominates on the ground like rips this guy down and just just submits the heck out of him i mean this dude like everybody's saying that he had this crazy potential he was like minus 2000 coming into this fight and he comes <laughs> in and yeah, it was the craziest odds I've ever seen. And then he goes in there and submits him in the first round. And everybody's like, oh, the hype is real. So that's just a guy to keep the eye on is Bo Nickel because he okay. is a wrestler. And the way that UFC is translating to wrestling, like in that sense that you were talking about, I think he can be a superstar in the sport. So PA on the map. Okay. So, so speaking of PA, uh, I talked to you last week and you were really, really excited. And you told me you made a podcast about the reason why you were excited. Because the pins cleared up all this cap space. <clears throat> so tell me, uh, <clears throat> what'd they do? So they first, uh, they cut Casper cap. It was a total waste anyways. Saved a few million. <laughs> then they cut two more guys. They cut um, Mark Friedman, who was a defenseman, for saving like probably under a million dollars. But they saved a little bit. And then they they put on waivers another decent player, Brock McGinn, who's had a down year. They put him on waivers. He cleared waivers, went to the AHL, but they inevitably ended up trading him away in a, in a bigger trade. So it didn't really matter. But essentially three players probably combined around $6 million that they freed up, I would guess. And then with that money, they were able to pull one of their big free agent signings from the offseason, Jan Ruda, off of long-term injured reserve and let him rejoin the team. Uh, because he he was out for most of the year. And then with the rest of the money, they made three trades. So before I get into those three trades, I want to let everybody know that the Pittsburgh Penguins were already the oldest team in the National Hockey League. The oldest. So at the trade deadline, when you're in the very last, or sorry, second to last at that point, playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, a loaded Eastern Conference at that and there are about five or six teams right on your heels, like literally within a couple games of overtaking you, you would think you'd be going all in trying to pad your team, trying to gain as many hopefully young players that you can that are studs that you could see playing for the team for a few years. But instead of doing anything like that and trying to get a little bit younger, a little bit faster or a little bit more physical even, the Penguins got less fast, so slower, less physical and older 
in the deadline. So they acquired uh, Michael Granlund, who's a center. He's over 30. He is, I guess, decent. I mean, he's having an okay year for the Nashville Predators. Give up a second round pick for this man. And he comes in and takes over the third line center role in which they traded away. I guess it's third, maybe fourth line center. Yeah, probably third line center is what they're at. Well, they're end so, up playing in. They so you're telling me mm-hmm. they traded away their future youth and got even more old guys. Precisely. And and that's exactly who they replaced was a guy that they traded to Vegas by the name of Teddy Bluger, who I really liked. Good defensive player, good penalty killer, was having a down year. So they traded him to Vegas. They get a third round pick. I'm like, okay, you got a third round pick back. That's okay. Well, they then gave up a second round pick to get Granlin. So they lost a third or they they lost a second round pick. So they basically traded down a round to get an older player. Mm-hmm. So the older player, I mean, Granlin, he's a playmaker. Like, he's going to help on the offensive side of things. But the Penguins already have playmakers. They need defense. They need grit. They need grinders. That's the kind of players they should be after. But they've been lately, the last two years, actually, been trading those types of guys away. Like, last year it was Zach Aston Reese that they traded away, among others, uh, to get Ricard Raquel, who's more of a finesse guy. He doesn't really throw his body around too much, and he's more of a skill player. So they got less physical. Now this year they get even less physical. They get rid of Bluger. They let go of McGinn, who they ended up trading then in a different trade. And in that trade, they got Nick Benino, who used to be a Penguin uh, back when they won their two Stanley Cups. So he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. And he was part of the famous HBK line with Carl Hagelin and Phil Kessel. But that was years ago. That was, you know, six years ago when Nick Benino was good. So now you're talking about a guy on the plus side of 35. And he's going to, I guess be your fourth line center. So you got a new third line center and a new fourth line center. Cut all your young wing. And literally the young players on the team all got either cut or traded. Bluger, McGinn, uh, and uh, Kapanen. Not that they're young, but they were the youngest on the Penguins. Like the Penguins really don't have that many young players. So they only have a handful left of young players, including guys like Drew O'Connor, Pierre Oliver, Joseph, guys like that. But and you they've really, been trading really... away all their young players and getting all these old players, and it just hasn't made much sense to me. And then the yeah, other guys. Yeah, because all you wanted was a goalie, dude. I wanted a goalie or I wanted uh, a big name off the market. So, like, mm-hmm. I was talking to, well, I guess he's. He's he's a Canucks fan, so he he would know that the um, the best players on the Canucks were available for trade, and the Penguins were in talks with them. So I'm looking at the Penguins rumor rumor mill. He's looking at the Canucks rumor mill, and he's saying the same thing I'm saying. So clearly, it was going to happen. Uh, J T. Miller was the big name that was floating around, and maybe even Brock Besser that we could have acquired from Vancouver, but the Penguins didn't pull the trigger on either of those two guys who would have been younger players and more upgrades compared to what they have. But uh, instead, they get Granlund, they get Benino, and they get Dmitry Kulikov, who is the other third name, a defenseman, an old defenseman that honestly isn't even have. And they give up a little bit to get him. So I just don't understand why we're getting rid of draft capital and it's not really for actual value. We're getting rid I mean, of players of value and draft capital for your older players that are veterans. Yeah, it's like you're trying to load up, but I don't really see the point of loading up um, with how the East is going. There's so many teams that are so loaded, and, and I mean, I'm guessing you were leading into Boston, right? Yeah, because like the moment y'all I brought up Boston, you you and our buddy were like, oh no, they're they're wreaking havoc this year. They're going all the way. Yeah, and I I still believe that. I think Boston is a absolute juggernaut, and they might actually be virtually unstoppable. Like, I mean, you don't think any of the Florida Texas teams have a chance? 
He said he. I'm pretty sure his answer was Tampa Bay could be Tampa. the team that could compete best with uh, the Boston Bruins. And as much as I would like to agree with that, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say the team that is gonna knock off Boston, if anybody, and I cannot believe that I'm saying this right now, is the New York Rangers. Oh. I, I, I actually cannot believe I'm oh, saying that's like you right rooting now. for the Celtics, dude. What? Yeah, so oh. the New York Rangers just dominated the deadline. I mean, they acquired some of my favorite players in the entire league, mm. and it's hard not to be like, okay, I wouldn't be mad if they went far. Like, they get Vladimir Tarasenko, Patrick Kane, among others, of course, but they just retooled, reloaded, added to their stash of superstars like Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider and Adam Fox and Igor Shosturkin, and they are just making a run, man. And it makes me even matter because last year, Pittsburgh was in a seven-game series with the Rangers as they were, and they had done kind of similar things, getting guys like Andrew Kopp at the trade deadline. Mets-like but... moves. Met-like moves, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they're going out and getting the best players on the market, whoever they want. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, but that's the difference between hockey and baseball is you actually have, have to have a cap, the money yeah. to do it. So you have to pay teams with draft pick compensation and young players and prospects in order to get them to retain salary, which is always an option. So that's what they had to do to be able to get guys like Tarasenko and Kane. And it made their team so much better. Like the Rangers for a minute there after they got Tarasenko were unstoppable. They were winning every game. Then they started losing a couple. Now they get Kane. Yeah, I think they're the biggest start to Boston. I, I believe that. And I mm-hmm. just think the team that's going to win the East is going to be out of the Metro. Uh, if it's not Boston, it's Metro. Because Maple Leafs are always pretenders no matter how you look at it. <laughs> I mean, they are, and I they just it. lost Ryan O'Reilly. He broke his finger, so now we don't know what the yeah, status is. Yeah, I saw that is. report. That was their big deadline acquisition, and now he's gone. So I, I don't know, man. I just feel like it's Boston or Metro all the way. So, all right. So your new format, you stick to thirty minutes generally, right? Uh, I stick to around uh, thirty minutes, but I don't mind if we get all our content done, keeping it one episode under an hour. That's not a problem to me. Ah, well. You want to go ahead and cover the West in hockey and then start the MLB episode? Oh, I don't know. Do we have anything for the West? I was pretty much just going to talk crap on the Penguins because I'm a little upset. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have a countdown clock going for something very exciting, ladies and gentlemen. The World Baseball Championship. We're at 20 how many hours, Rem? Uh The World Baseball Classic starts in... Oh, Classic. My bad. 25 and a half hours. And we looked through the schedule for the week. Yes, we did. You you, you can kind of take the first couple days off. You know, it's a little bit of the bottom of the barrel playing early. But I'm telling you right now, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday coming up, you want to find those channels. You want to. And it's competing with March Madness, which is going to be. Oh my God, I was going to say that. Like March Madness at the same time as the WBC is going to be nuts. But, Rim, you got a concern, though, with uh, all these players, all these MLB players going to play for their teams. Why is that? So, the reason why I'm concerned is because, obviously, as you guys may know, because I've talked about it in literally every episode this season. the Major League Baseball made so many moves to change their game, to speed up the pace of play, to just make the game more fun for fans to watch. A lot of those 
rule changes slash uh, I don't know what you'd want to call them other than rule changes. Adjustments. Adjustments. They are not they're not standardized. So like the MLB is doing it, but like the rest of the world is not. So the WBC is only using classic MLB rules. So like all the things that they're trying to adapt to in spring training and get used to, they're going to go play in the WBC and not have those rules. So these players are going to get back into their old ways and old habits. And then they're only going to have like a week to prepare for major league baseball season after the WBC. So my comparison to that was last year after the all-star break, all -hmm. the big hitters couldn't hit for like two weeks straight. But this is going to be worse. This is going to be worse. Yes, because it's like not instead of having time off, which wouldn't be bad. They're they're still playing baseball, just playing a completely just going back different to game. Old habits. Yeah. Like they're gonna be their instinct when they get back is gonna be shifting in the infield, and they can't do that no more. The pitch well, clock. I don't know I'm about not that kind of stuff. I'm talking more like hitters and pitchers and the pace of play. Like the shift, the, they the obviously batters will. Yes, because you know, that whole box, you only get one time out, and the ump has to give it to you yes uh the pitchers i'm not too worried about the pitch clock because we've always had the pitch clock in the minor leagues so like the really old pitchers like verlander degrom all them they're gonna have some problems but they were gonna have them already but they just had this month of doing it now they go back to not having it and then they gotta go right back to doing it so Senior There's savvy good. veterans that are going to abuse it and take advantage of the pitch clock and use it as a weapon instead of a, like um, a problem like Max Scherzer, for example, mm-hmm. whereas guys like Clayton Kershaw, we've yet to see how they're going to adjust to that and how it's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Anything else in the WBC other than hype, 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 excitement? Um, hype, hype, hype excitement is literally all I could say about it. Like, I'm just so excited. I already went over our power, the power rankings like a few episodes ago, so we don't even have to touch on that. Mm-hmm. But literally, you guys just have to tune in because this is going to be something crazy and something. Yeah. With more guys would have wanted to play for Team USA because I don't know that we have the pitching to compete with some of those big teams like the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. But here we are. We're going to try. <laughs> so I mean, we definitely got the bats. We have the bats. It's just like, why couldn't some of our amazing pitchers want to do this? Like, why wouldn't they want to participate? Because they want to save their arm. You know how uh, pitchers are about their arm. A couple starts we're asking for. Come on now. For your country. Do it for your country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rim, um, I'm feeling story time. Oh, story time? Story time. Tell me about this uh, little story you uh, saw earlier today about balking. Okay, so <laughs> so I was watching the preseason, uh, well, I guess spring training game um, for the Philadelphia Phillies earlier today against the Baltimore Orioles. And the sad part is I was watching the game just to watch Adley Rushman, not to watch my Phillies. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he was low-key rooting for him really hard. He's like, I can't believe this. I'm doing this. I'm rooting for the Orioles. But you've been, you've been an Orioles fan for at least – 10 months you've been actually like a fan fan of the Orioles right yeah no like I they're one of my favorite teams definitely and I I want to kind of 
make a list of like my favorite you know teams in order so that i can't go back on it but i definitely think baltimore is really high up there like obviously the phillies are always going to be number one but there's teams i really really like more than others and baltimore's up there man um baltimore's definitely up there so who was on the mound give me the story of this dude that was on the mound so michael givens i think is his name he was on the mound he's a relief pitcher uh, for Baltimore and with their main closer Batista being uh, injured, uh, Michael Givens is going to be their closer at this point. But after what I saw today, I don't think Michael Givens is going to be their closer. So Michael Givens had been called for two box in the fourth inning of the game today. And he, the reason for box, and this is going to be something that MLB's cracking down on, he didn't come to a complete stop while he was in his stretch before delivering his pitch. So the umpires are watching for this kind of thing, and they're trying to pick this stuff out in spring training before it becomes a hindrance for teams to see which players can make the adjustments and which can't. Um, before that game, and this is a fun fact, Givens had only just one career balk in 419 regular season appearances. So it is possible this is a fluke, but it just got Or just me the to ump think- trying to make an example out of somebody. Yeah, it got me to thinking that his whole kind of delivery is a balk. So, like, guys like him are going to really struggle to make these adjustments because they've been pitching this way for their entire life, making little tweaks along the way, and having to change their entire delivery to not get called for box would be very difficult, extremely difficult. So I was just thinking about which types of pitchers would be affected by this. That's basically all it got me thinking was, like, if this guy gets two box in an inning, if that were to happen in a regular season game, that could effectively win or lose a game for a team. And, so and you're not going to put a guy like Givens on the mound in, a, in an important situation if you know in the back of your head that could happen. Yeah, in one inning in a spring training game, he may have just lost his job as the primary closer. Oh, yeah. Just because one ump. And that was my problem with box to begin with is it's going to vary by ump. Whatever umps are officiating what game likes to call boxes. Now you're going to get like the NFL at that point. I mean, which the MLB kind of already was. You know, if you had Angel Hernandez, you were fucked. You were fucked, you know, but it's going to be a little bit more, you know. My run-in with that guy in Philly that one night, man, Angel Hernandez. (laughs) Sitting right behind the Phillies dugout or right behind the – the opposing dugout watching the Phillies and Kyle Schwarber's up at the plate. And, oh, my God, he raged. If you ever find <laughs> that video online, I'm in that video somewhere behind Schwarber's whenever he was flipping out on Angel Hernandez. Oh, my. Oh. All right, know. so Soroka, Cy Young or done? All right, look, give the give the listeners Soroka's story. So Mike Soroka for the (laughs) Atlanta Braves. So Mike Soroka is a guy that has just had really bad luck with injuries. Okay, that's 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 really the breakdown. Tell him what he did when he was twenty-one. So Mike Soroka, he was a first-round pick in two thousand fifteen. And uh, he was he had high hopes. You know, the Braves had high hopes for him. They knew what he was capable of, obviously, from the jump. He played partially in a couple games, only like 25 innings in 2018 for Atlanta. Pitched okay. But then we start to see the real Mike Soroka. In his first full season as a starter in Major League Baseball, 
he pitched 2019 for Atlanta, 13 wins, four losses, a 2.68 ERA, that's in 29 starts, in 174.2 innings, only allowed 153 hits, 52 earned runs, and 41 walks. So with 142 strikeouts. So opponents hit about 236 off of Soroka, a whip just over 1.1, so 1.11. Just really, really, really good stats, like Cy Young contender stats for Mike Soroka. And then the injury bug hits. Like I said, really bad luck with injuries. So this was 2019. So this was when Soroka was uh, 21 years old. Now he's 25. Cy Young can almost won the Cy Cy Young at 21. he was, yeah, he was a Cy Young contender at 21 years old. 22, he pitched three games for the Braves and got injured. So then Mike Soroka, that was the shortened season, I guess. That was the COVID season. So he only pitched three games. So then he got hurt mm-hmm. and he, it was Achilles injury. So Mike Soroka was out extensively, comes back, gets hurt again. Never actually made it back to the MLB that second time. So two different injuries, basically the same. And, Achilles. Achilles injuries, not no, not no little like thing. Achilles, the off his plant foot and his other foot. Yeah, it, some serious stuff has gone down with Soroga. A torn Achilles, a a torn Achilles, and then a second pair of the Achilles. Like they didn't know this man was ever going to come back again, and he was a Cy Young candidate level pitcher. But he's so, back like, now. Now he's well. It, it's it's questionable. So like that was your question. Was he's like, pitching again. He's pitching. He's, you know, he's around. trying to. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to. He's throwing bullpen sessions. So, so yeah, listeners, chime in for us. Send us a DM. Anything. Let us know. You think he could come back or no? Can you think somebody who almost won the Cyo Young at 21 years old can come back from two Achilles injuries? Yeah. He's young. That's the only thing I think can save Soroka. I think he might still end up being effective. I mean, but once I don't you tear it once, you're, you're just over-leaning and overcompensating. I don't think he'll ever throw that hard again because he's going to be so scared. I'd be scared, dude. I, I There's no way I fucking could do it. No way. I don't know that he was ever really a flamethrower, flamethrower, but, like, he definitely – he definitely is going to hinder some velocity with that. Because you need your legs. Like, yeah. you throw with your legs. So yeah. Like, I mean, if it was an ACL and knee injury, I'd be like, oh, okay, no problem. Or when – um, what Braves pitcher was that to get hit in the ankle during the playoff game? Pitched, like, another inning then had to come out because he broke it because he got hit. I just found a report that uh, Mike Soroka wants people to call Michael Soroka. Oh, Michelle so we Soroka. Start okay. saying Michael Soroka. Okay, Michelle Soroka. Yeah, it's Soroka's fighting with Ian Anderson for the final rotation spot in Atlanta, as of the last report that I saw. Really? That was a month ago, though, and that's before they realized that Soroka still isn't even throwing off a mound. So it's Ian Anderson's spot. Yeah. But Soroka is still a guy that you have to watch because, like, if anybody slacks off at all or somebody gets hurt for the Braves, Soroka could come in and be a force and he's well, going to be on an innings limit to begin with so yeah he'll probably have to come out of the but that also leads us into our next thing talking about anybody could come up pitchers are always year to year there's no such thing as pitching consistency if you get a pitcher that pitches consistently for a five-year span has the same era five years in a row that's unheard of that's godly 
That's a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher. That's Hall of, it. and that's yeah. that's the thing about pitching. It's half the game, but it's also the most inconsistent, most mental part of the game. Being yeah. a closer mentally is a little bit easier. You got to go out there, just have that dog in you. Um, just being a reliever, same thing. You just got to go out there, have that dog in you. I got to come out here and attack. Being a starter, that's the hardest mental position in all the sports, I think. Yeah, like you could come in and be a closer and pitch like 10 years in a row, like Craig Kimbrell stuff, mm-hmm. and just be a dominant and then just kind of fall off a little bit. Yeah. But like consistency-wise, starters, it's so much harder because you're pitching so many innings. And, and they're getting so much tape on you. There's so much tape. There's so much planning on you. You're going to give up a hit. You're going to give up a couple dingers. But what do you do? You have to just act like it didn't happen and keep on going. Resiliency. It's resiliency what was, uh, and rebounding. What was that game earlier today? Uh, it was the Phillies game, I think, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, where dude was pitching really good, then all of a sudden gave up three dingers in a row. Well, no, he wasn't pitching good. Now let's get this straight. Like, uh, okay. okay. It's spring training, so the guys only pitch like an inning to begin with. Okay. But what had happened was he was pitching, doing a solid, you know, first spring training, pretty solid performance, and then all of a sudden a dinger happened. And what happened after he gave up the first dinger? To no names. We're not talking about Swarber or Harper. We're talking with Bryce Hall. Who was it? Boom. It was, Boehm it hit was the first good. one. It was good players. It was uh Boom was, was the first one, right? Alec Boom. Yeah. Then it was two batter. Well, yeah. So then the next guy hit. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. It was Boom. Next guy Hall, home run. Then Yeah, uh, Hall's Hall's a no name. He's not on the roster during the season, really. And right. then a few batters after that. Well, no, Hall might actually make the team this year. But then a few oh, batters after okay. that, Jake Cave home run as well. Yeah, another mm-hmm. another down the list kind of guy. Still though, all it takes is one home run and you mentally fall apart. And pitching consistency, I think it doesn't exist. It's just you're 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 on fire. You're hot or cold. You're hot or cold. I don't think there's a such thing as pitching consistency. What do you say? Yeah, I mean it, 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 it's it's tough. I'm not really sure how to judge it anymore because, like, you see a guy have a few good years and you're like, oh, he's, you know, he's due for a bad year. And then there's guys that defy the odds and there's guys that do exactly what you predict them to do. And then once they have that bad year, how long is that going to last? Are they going to have multiple bad years? Is they, Are they ever going to get back to their true selves? You know, like, mm-hmm. it's just – it's so crazy, dude. Like, mm-hmm. it's like – it's so hard to predict. Baseball is – definitely the hardest sport i mean it happens to batters too a batting rut everyone hosts to a batting rut oh yeah it's it's a game of streaks like but you, know, you have a hot i think streak. i think pitchers are more impacted career wise from a rut than a you know from being cold versus being hot versus hitters you know eventually the hitter will hit again you know unless they're old like you know mm-hmm. like um Votto for the reds right he, as he aged, once he started getting pretty old, he, his batting average went down. But then he changed his style a little bit, and he's hitting like he used to. In fact, some people would say he's hitting even better than he was when he was young. So it's easier for batters to adjust versus pitchers, I think. The more that they see, they might get slower with age. But the more that they see, the more advantages they have because they've probably hit off that same pitcher like 20, 30 times in their career. Yes. Or yes. more. So. Like how many how many Braves and Philly hitters have hit off the Grom versus how many people uh, in the Astros division now have hit off the Grom? 
So DeGrom yeah. might actually have a very good year because they're not as used to hitting off of him. But next year... A lot of them haven't seen him yet. Yeah, yeah. Much, yeah. So, but next year after you have... Well, and they took away some divisional games, so everyone yeah. plays everybody. But still, you're still going to see him more than anything, right? Yeah. So next year, DeGrom's stats may go down a lot against divisional opponents. But this year, within a division for the Astros, DeGrom's probably actually going to do pretty good because they're not as used to hitting against him. All right. To wrap up MLB, Rim, one more story time from you. Okay. Tell me about Hunter Brown. Oh, boy. Uh, well, first off, just one last comment on what you're saying. Oh, yes, about, absolutely. About the uh, kind of the pitching thing that went on earlier, like with the Orioles guy. So the Phillies guys that hit the home runs, obviously Alec Bohm was – he's an MLB He's a starter. Player. He's a great A MLB player. Yeah, and the other two guys were like Derek Hall and Jake Cave who are competing for a spot to make the team. So they had adrenaline. But what I want to say is that that could happen to anybody. Like your story about pitchers and what you Yeah, said a breakdown, yeah. Like it happens. Like when it comes, it comes in waves. Even guys like Garrett Cole will give mm-hmm. up three home runs in a row sometimes. Like it Corbin just Burns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just happens. So, like, you have to account for that. Like, you can't hold it against a guy when he just doesn't have his best stuff. Like, any given day, golf. Like, some days you're on, some days you're but not. It's no different he was a closer, though. Hmm? He was a closer, though. Oh, that guy? No, I don't even know who that pitcher was. This was not the same inning as Givens did the ball game. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, oh, this, yeah, is yeah. A, this is later in the game. My bad, my bad, yeah. But, yeah. Um so, yeah, I, I was just saying, like, it definitely can happen to anybody. So that's all I'm saying is, like, it can literally happen. And if it's going to happen, I'd rather have it happen in spring training than during a playoff game. Yeah, exactly. And, like, even just, like, playing MLB The Show, like, you could see that when rallies start, it's usually snowballs. Like, it mm-hmm. usually ends up being, like, not just one, but multiple runs in that inning. And then, yeah, you might be able to be consistent the rest of the game or work consistent up to that point. But it just does happen to bunch together and snowball and for you. Sometimes. A lot of it has to do with management also because, like, let's say uh, we'll look at the Strider start in Philadelphia, the playoffs. He never should have started. Not Not game four, no. That was game four or game three? That was game four. He never should have started that. You do not start a rookie in Philadelphia in the playoffs. When he's coming off an injury. Not even that. You don't start a rookie. If you got the opportunity, you they won one game. So we were going to game five regardless. We were coming back to Atlanta. You start Odorizzi and throw that game, rest your players, and come back to Atlanta and have Strider on his home turf and your hitter's ready to go that was a bad management decision that's on them bobby cox and a never lot of managers that. make that mistake a lot of mm-hmm. managers make that mistake. They, they, yeah. but that the you could argue oh, hindsight's well. always 2020 though hindsight's always 2020. oh no i was saying don't do it before that <laughs> what I if was... you would have won that game you wouldn't have said that that's what i mean like <laughs> well then i'd be like okay you know you know that the manager <laughs> knows what he's doing but <laughs> And which, which, when Bobby Cox was the coach, you never questioned Bobby Cox. Uh, All right, so tell me the Hunter Brown story. So basically, it's just basically about fastball heavy pitchers, essentially. So I was analyzing Hunter Brown. Actually, funny enough for fan for my fantasy team, I was trying to pick up one more starting pitcher. What? He's a young prospect, right? Yeah, I was trying to get one more starting pitcher. On my on my team, and I was just analyzing different guys that were free agents in the league, 
uh, the Sports Bar Jockeys League, funny enough. Um, and Hunter Brown was one of those names I came across, and I saw that he was pitching today. So I decided, okay, well, at 1 o'clock, I'm going to tune in to the Astros-Cardinals game and just see what Hunter Brown's about to see if he's a guy I would want or not. Because he was well, uh, compared to uh, Verlander Jr., right? That's yeah, what you were he, telling he's me. Like, yeah. he, he tries to be Justin Verlander. That's kind of the Astros letting Verlander go sign with the Mets. It was kind of like, okay, Hunter Brown's going to emerge now. He's the number one prospect. But, like, the thing with Hunter Brown, yeah, he throws like Verlander. He has similar lineup, you know, similar like throwing motion, stuff like that, similar uh, like tactics. Like he throws kind of the same pitches, not necessarily, but he's a fastball heavy guy. That's that's Hunter Brown's thing is he's a fastball heavy guy. So, yeah, he's number one prospect. He's talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when you rely on your fastball more than half of the time, I feel like to be effective in major league baseball, you have to have some variety to it. So my examples would be like Spencer Strider, Sandy Alcantara. These guys throw two different different like two different pitches that are both fastballs that look similar, but then do two completely different things. So you got a four seam, a two seam. Some guys have a cut fastball, like, you have different fastballs that vary and they can fool hitters, right? So where Hunter Brown only throws a four-seamer, anytime he throws the fastball, you know how it's going to move. The movement on the life on the pitch is going to be similar. And you were saying he was throwing this thing like over 55% of the time. His his Yeah, he throws it over well over 50% of the time. His fastball is like his whole thing. Between 50 and 60% of the time, he throws his fastball. So he relies heavy on his fastball. And, yeah, there were times where I saw him able to command it. But if you're relying on it that heavy and you're throwing your other pitches very limited amounts of time, you're not throwing them for strikes. You are you end up walking, guys. And that's what he got into. The problem was he was throwing the fastball. Guys were sitting on the fastball. They were hitting it hard. And then he realized he had to throw his off-speed stuff, and then he couldn't throw strikes. So he ended up getting pulled out of the game after walking three guys in a row. Ooh. Yeah, rough. So, like, he's competing for a rotation spot, and then he pulled bad. So that just got me thinking about pitchers that are fastball dependent, and it's like you almost have to vary it a little bit. If like, the only one that really gets away with it is DeGrom. You just throw fucking heat. Like, you just you just try well, to throw it by Here's guy. my thing. One of the greatest pitchers ever in history, the scariest fastball ever, Randy Johnson. Mm-hmm. He had a hell of a lot more than just a fastball. Yeah. He had curves, cutters, and uh, sliders and slurves, and he utilized that. He didn't go in there and try to – like, I'd probably have to look – I should, probably should have looked up his actual fastball percentage <laughs> while he was in the league. You know, I didn't do my due diligence there, my bad. But still, you know he didn't. I don't care how, many, how, how hard your fastball is, how many birds you hit mid-pitch. You can't throw fastballs over 50% of the time, especially in today's league. In today's league, no. No, there's too many, too much tape on you, too many uh, uh, car, uh scouting cards. No, there's no way. There's so no Randy way. Johnson threw the fastball. He 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 did throw over a hundred. I'm right now trying to look up for you how Thank frequently you. he used his fastball percentage. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling to find it here. Maybe they didn't track that as much back. They there. may not know. have. Like oh here it is forty seven percent boom boom under fifty percent exactly and at the tail end of his career he was only averaging ninety one on it ooh but he by then he had perfected his off speed he was throwing him over one hundred and two at the prime of his career oh yeah 
and still uh, his he's never threw over pitch 50. was the slider though that broke down and away from lefties and down and into righties. Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, Randy Johnson is just fierce, bro. With that three quarters delivery, like, and I love that low. he's like a photographer for the NFL now. Randy, you didn't know that? Randy Johnson, yeah. He's a photographer on NFL sidelines. Have you seen his logo? His American photographer. Yeah, he is. Yeah, look at the, look at his company logo. You're gonna laugh your ass off. Randy Johnson company logo. Let me look it up. Randy Johnson company logo. Oh my god! It's a fucking bird. <laughs> it's a bird. I'm because <laughs> the bird. Burger. Yep. Yep. Tell me that is not epic. <laughs> That's fucking epic. I thought you okay. knew that, dude. I'm sorry. That's amazing, and no, I feel like I heard that, but I never really like cared that much. Yeah, as far as that, but yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, I believe that'll cover MLB. Right? Anything else you want to add in? Slip in? Slip it in? Just you know, Uh, just because it's important, I want to throw in one more time that WBC guys is starting in like 25 hours, and I'm really pumped about it. I'm really pumped about it. Yeah, there's, there's. Rim's a little upset about double headers. Uh, if you got that as that many teams, you're gonna have to have double headers. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams that have to play games really close together or literal double headers, and it's like what? <laughs> like yeah. they're not even playing the same team; they're playing two different teams back to back. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, but I mean, it's. It happens. Everyone's got to do it. It's fair. It's, and, but I guarantee you, once we get to the second round, that's not going to happen. That's only well, Japan round. doesn't have to do it. They play at the same time every day for four get, days in a row. That's as easy as a schedule as you get. Oh, motherfucker, you tried telling somebody to play two games against two different people in the same day when they have a big ass fucking katana ready to chop your fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not even going to tell you Chinese Taipei's roster. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We, we got we got like seven minutes till the hour mark. You want to go ahead and go through their roster? <laughs> okay. I'm China's world here. World roster. Chinese Taipei WBC roster. Are you ready for this? Shoot. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so you got Chen, 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 <laughs> Hu, Huang, Li, Lu, Song, Tang, Stang, Wang, Wu, Cow Lin Chang 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 yeah. Fan Lin Lin Wang Wu Chang <laughs> Chang Ku Wang <laughs> Chang Lin Wang Wu Oh my god <laughs> Like what the heck? I, I don't think they should have translated it to English dude they should have just left it as actual Mandarin symbols Bro Loki crazy They just shouldn't have that's just – it's disrespectful to the culture. They should have left it in Mandarin. Yeah. That, dude, that's nuts. Like, you go down the list, and when they put it in alphabetical order, it's like – Because, the- like, Chinese first, last name is mixed up. Like – Yeah. Yeah, like, it, 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 they should have just put left it in Mandarin for China out of respect. Those Chinese Taipei. I don't even know how bad China's is. Like, I was just – Curious why they all had the same name. What, what the fuck? Weird. What, what the fuck is the difference between Chinese Taipei and China? They got two. They got they're two different teams. They get two teams in the tournament. What the hell? 
Yeah, they got Chinese and Chinese Taipei. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could give Taiwan a team, and then they would withdraw from the entire tournament. Yeah. Jeez. All right. So we're almost at the hour mark, so we probably need to let that load up. And I gotta get into my skip a list mode for the NFL coverage. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna try to keep it under thirty minutes, but we're gonna throw one more episode at you guys. So we got an hour of r- random sport content, and then we're gonna throw about thirty minutes of M- NFL um, content. Half of it was MLB. Yeah, yeah. I think we covered a lot, so I think we're good. Um, so we will record one more episode for today, and then we will. I will post them separately. So, so stay tuned. Please listen. If you listen to this episode first, listen to. The next episode, if you listen to the last episode, then this was actually recorded before that episode. So but on the same day. On the same day. Yeah. One session for us, but just to make it easier on the listeners, we're not going to put a three-hour session out there. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that was fun, and uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>